either let succession be something that you plan, knowing your own limitation, taking the things that you have brought to the organization in terms of culture, in terms of processes, and you can bring somebody on, hire them, train them, mentor them, nurture them, place them. You can do that and ensure that there's more of a legacy of a sustained success by the things you've built. Welcome to the Business Owner Transition Podcast. In this podcast, we talk with business owners, exit advisors, and a host of others to help you not just exit your business, but execute an elite exit by maximizing transaction value on your terms and without regret. Let's get right to it. Welcome back to part two of my conversation with TD Smyers. We pick up the conversation discussing the challenges facing a new leader in a troubled company. Anybody who's led a turnaround will tell you that they have had to let some people go that after noble efforts to try to get everybody aligned and to try to bring new perspective and to try to earn trust, if somebody's operating with an agenda that's going to be opposed to yours and opposed to the sustained success of the company, then sometimes you just got to cut that limb off the tree. Yeah, that's my get on the bus speech. Okay, I like so, it. Yeah, either you're on the bus or off the bus. And I have been in the situation before, as you just described, where the organization was in trouble. They brought me in to help turn it around. Uh, after a period of investigation and consideration and understanding and discussion with the employee base, I had to have the, you're either on the bus or off the bus speech. And uh, that to some people was difficult to hear. To others, it was like, okay, this guy gets it. He's, yeah. He is aligning all of us to take us in the right direction. I like that story too, because you're right. And it paints the other side of the picture that I had brought up. I brought up the person with an agenda who's toxic to the organization, but your story illustrates that for every one of them, there's a handful of people who have seen that and are tired of putting up with that. Yep. And they see you coming in and going, finally, somebody is going to at least give this a shot. I in a similar situation, I was actually approached from somebody like that that was leaving the organization. As soon as I got there, I'm like, what does it mean? What, what do I smell bad or what? And, and I sat down with her and I said, I'm trying to bring this change. We've talked about some of the things that need to change. Why are you leaving? And she said, because I don't think there's anything you can do about it. Yes, it's messed up. Yes, it's toxic. And it's so ingrained in the operations and culture of the organization. I don't think there's anything you can do about it. I was happy that ultimately, it took about four years, but ultimately she, she was proven wrong. We did make the change. But I love that your story illustrates that there are always people in the wings who are tired of the toxicity and they're looking to you with some hope. That's yeah. That's anytime you approach any of these things, you have to have confidence in what you're doing, right? Sometimes it needs to be quiet confidence and sometimes it needs to be a little bit more overt in nature. But it really always goes to aligning the team, right? Yeah. Taking the high quality, highly motivated players in the organization and allowing them to flourish. Because if you can allow your best players, your highly motivated players to actually make an impact in your organization, you're going to kill it. Yeah. If you stifle that, then you're just going to go status quo forever. But Let's switch now. So now you're this business owner that understands that you could use some improvement. As a matter of fact, maybe you've gotten a little complacent over the years and your business has fallen off, but you're motivated now to 
sell your business. So you can do one of two things. You can go ahead and put it on the market or you can prepare for the future. Now, I would submit that elite <laughs> preparation brings elite exits. <laughs> Failure sure. to prepare brings a lot of regret and, and yeah. poor monetary compensation. But so let's talk about this for sure. a minute. Now you're interviewing or you're talking to candidates to come into your organization and what are the attributes that you're looking for somebody to come in and help you? Yeah. So super, super set up. And you know, as you were describing the intro to this, uh, to the set, scenario set up, I was, couldn't help but reflect back on the stuff we, you know, early in aviation, right? Proper prior planning prevents piss poor performance, right? And again, given a note, uh, given a nod to EliteExit.com, you've established something here that really is not resonant anywhere else in coaching. And that I'm aware of. So it, it fills a necessary gap and it allows you in either of these situations to, to avoid that proper prior planning with positive prior planning. And so it's good. And, and I've been in a situation more often in this situation than in the former situation, in a situation where I've been pulled into a failing company than I have been to a company that's humming along. And I think some of that is indicative of the environment. If there's a leadership change that's happening, it's generally because it needs to happen. And other things have been tried, and it's obvious that there needs to be a change in top-level leadership. It's probably also a little bit reflective of who I am, right? We talked at the beginning about being self-aware is an important first step toward being self-confident as a leader. And understanding that I'm not probably the best person to sustain an effort. I am more aligned with, because of the way I handle people and processes and leadership, I'm more aligned to come into an organization that's failing and be that kind of a person that, that, that helps it not fail anymore, uh, helps right. it achieve success. I, I know that that's how I'm wired. Some of that's evident in the fact that I kind of limit my approach to how long I'm going to be in an organization. And there, there's no magic number to it. There's some school of thought out there that nobody should be a CEO for more than seven years. I don't know what the magic is of the seven years. It has to do with everything you can bring to the organization you will have effectively brought by that time. The cyclical nature of the economy may mean that di different leadership is necessary subsequent to that. There's a lot of reasons that go into it. I was just laughing because that's how, if you can get past seven years in your marriage, you're good. <laughs> Maybe there's some equivalency there, yeah? yeah. For, for sure, in terms of a relationship, there probably really is. And and, uh, and I agree, you get past the seven-year itch, right, and you're good to go. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, and, and, and for myself, uh, I've discovered that I've got about a four-year window. Now, there's nothing magic about it because you have to be flexible. But when I, in the situation I described earlier, where I had a talks per member of the executive team, actually, who had an agenda, after I met that, and after I analyzed and surveyed the scope of the toxicity in the organization, I told the board of directors that, okay, I am going to be a limited time chief executive for you, because in order to fix this, I'm going to have to scorch some earth and break some glass. And that means the, I'm going to have to bring on the person to relieve me to take this role after me to hand the baton to who's a healer that can then take it to the next level. So again, understanding from the being the individual that comes into that job, being the CEO that gets hired into an organization to turn around, I think it's important that you take stock in who you are, what you bring to the table, and how that might apply in terms of strength and in terms of endurance. 
Uh, yeah, let me, let me just ask you a question sure. before we go on here, because I, I have seen leaders that have come into this role, which turnaround leadership is really a challenge of transformation, right? You're taking something that is not necessarily humming and turning it into something that will. Um, and I've seen these folks come in and be, initiate that immediate action, chop the heads, do the, some of the things that you just referred to, but then also communicate hey, when I'm still here in 25 years and we're all together as a, yeah, this is going to be great. So comment on that for sure. a minute because that's totally different than what you just did. It is. And it's, and I don't, it, it is totally different because the scenario is totally different in that situation. If you've got to come in and A, it, it, that leader, if he or she was more aligned to be a long-term solution provider, then that's great. If they brought in and made some positive changes to the culture, they didn't have to lop off any heads. They didn't have to fire any executives. I literally replaced my entire executive team in the role yep. that I just described. So I was I had to break that organization down in a lot of ways. A 30% reduction in force, complete change to the business model. It was very different. Now, had I been the kind of leader who could then come back and build that team back up and sustain it for a long time, that that's feasible. But knowing who you are and what your endurance is means you accept a position like that or you don't. I myself would have never stood up in front of my team and said, 25 years from now, when I'm still here and we're humming and we're all a big family, or I don't like that terminology either, but you know what I'm saying, we're, we're, it's just going to be all great in 25 years when we're all still doing this with an oar in the water. That's not me. If there's a leader who can say that in this environment and pace of change, I'm shocked but I'm also deeply admire, or admiring that person. Too, right? I, I would use another term. I would say it's disingenuous. Okay. <laughs> okay. We're getting to the same place. It's highly yeah. unlikely to actually That's be right. happening. That's right. And actually what I think it does, right, is I think that it is contrary to the activities that you have to put in place. If you're telling this group of people that, hey, I'm going to cut the crap out of you guys. It's going to feel really bad. And uh, guess what? None of you know who's going to be next. Yeah. Okay. But 25 years from now, we're going to have this great company and it's going to be you. Now you talk about combining uncertainty with just bad will and it's For not sure. good. There, and there are people who, uh, and some of my clients have been in charge of their organizations for 18 years and beyond that. So that's not that. And that doesn't necessarily mean, actually, it almost always means that's not good. The default value of that is that's too long. What, what's the ideal? I don't know, four years, seven years, 12 years, who knows? But the point is, as a self-aware executive, you need to know what that is likely to be. And again, something I think we talked about in the green room, or I might have mentioned it at the beginning of our talk, is that you can either let succession be something that you plan, knowing your own limitations, taking the things that you have brought to the organization in terms of culture, in terms of processes, and you can bring somebody on, hire them, train them, mentor them, nurture them, place them. You can do that and ensure that there's more of a legacy of a sustained success by the things you've built. If you don't care, if you just say, hey, I'm going to be the person here for four, seven, whatever years, and then, hey, after that, it's up to the board who's leading the organization then you're going to be a job holder. You're going to carry your leg of the baton and then hand it off. But if you want that handoff to ensure sustainable success and legacy based on what you've already built, then you start planning your own succession. 
and you don't leave it up to chance. You make that part of your role as a chief executive. And the most bylaws for a board of directors in a company or a nonprofit indicate that succession planning is a primary responsibility of the board, but 75% of them don't do it. Yep. So it's definitely something that I think is indicative for it, of a leader who's leading enduring success. Yeah. Let me run some attributes by you. Sure. And let's you know, be interested in your comments. So here are a couple of things. Right? Immediate action, restoring confidence, critical change management to include navigating resistance to change, rev revamping culture for revival, right? Overhauling yeah. culture. So each of those different attributes, I think are important in this turnaround scenario. Yeah. What kind of comment or stories do you have with regard to sure. those? Sure. I think some people would look at that list that you just read and be because those are those represent ominous situations, right? I've got to I've got to create a new culture. I've got to craft a new culture because this one's toxic or horrible or defeatist or whatever. Um, I've got to come in and put new processes in place. I've got to increase our efficiency. And a lot of leaders will look at those and go, okay, we're going to tackle these a step at a time. In my experience, uh, you don't have enough time for that. If you're being brought in because an organization is failing and in a turnaround situation, you really don't have time for that. You've got to move to, to prevent things from going downhill. I took the helm of an organization as president and CEO that was probably within 18 to 24 months of having to lock the doors and turn the lights on. And in, in that time, we changed the force structure. We changed the strategy. And we developed a new, healthier culture simultaneously. Now, was that difficult? Yes. It, it, like I talked about earlier, it's oftentimes more art than science. And in a role like mine I have now, I'm really privileged to work with chief executives who are in those situations and help coach them through that. And so this is coaching can be a pretty controversial industry sometimes because the nature of the industry wants to bring as many coaches as it can in. To, to undergo the training and certification process. So it's really open to a lot of people who, frankly, have no business being coaches because they've never dealt with anything like that, right? They've been trained to do their MBA and they've been taking all these classes and the leadership, the psychology of leadership and all that stuff. Now they're supposed to be a coach. But as somebody who's walked that walk and who's had their butt handed to them in situations like this, you know, there's great value that a, an experienced coach can bring to the table. So I love doing that. But yeah, when you read the list, um, I think, you remember how when we talked about a healthy company, we said that it was a double-edged sword. One side, you've got a strong culture, you've got a participatory employee base, things are humming, good processes. So it seems to be a healthy platform from which to instigate change and innovate. Uh, on the other side, because it's worked, the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it mentality can result in a lot of risk aversion from the board and other stakeholders. Um, a similar thing exists over here, although you've got much more latitude because, hey, you're the person that's going to save the ship. Save the ship. You want to innovate? You bet. Because guess what? The way we've always done it is why we're tubes right now. So, that's right. Right? So you get a lot more hand, a lot more latitude to innovate and change. The difficulty is you're often faced with that entire list that you just read because poor processes can beget lack of participation, which results in a poor declining culture. 
So it's really not rare that you go into a situation in a declining company where you've got that entire laundry list to deal with as the incoming leader. So while we did, while we focused on evolutionary change, when you take over a healthy organization, when you're taking over a failing organization, you're looking at revolutionary change. Yeah. And right, things are going to need to happen much quicker. So what would your advice be to an owner about the personal attributes of somebody that they're going to select to come in and take this job? Yeah, it's twofold. There's attributes you want to look for in the individual, but there's another element that's incumbent on the, the founder, the entrepreneur, and that's clarity of communication. When you bring this person on, this is what I see you, that you, and you have to be honest with yourself, right? This is what I built, but this is where we failed to get there. These are some things I think you should look at as to why. So you, there's a lot of knowledge base from that founder that they can hand off. And then, of course, as you talk about at EliteExit.com, that you need to be able to hand that off effectively to the management team and then step out enough to let that leader lead. And oftentimes, yep. right, that can be a problem. But in terms of the original question, the attributes that you're looking for there, you're looking for somebody who has a cool enough head to come in and assess the need for change, is going to be decisive enough to make that change happen, and is going to be collaborative enough to make that change result in ownership across the organizational base. And it's really difficult to assess those things in a standard interview process. When I've been in a situation where I had to bring in top-level leaders in a, in a failing department, for example, I built a hiring mechanism that included the employee base. Not formally. I didn't ask the employees to sit down and quiz the individual who's going to come in and be their department head, for example. But I did create a social environment where the new leader would come in and interact socially, maybe over a little hors a little happy hour setup. And they would interact in just casual conversation. And as part of the interview process, I had people in that room whose role was only to watch that individual and see how they interacted with people. I checked them when their guard was now. Are they genuine? It's those kind of things. Assess those attributes of being, of having foresight, of having a deep understanding of what needs to change in the organization, of being decisive enough to make those changes happen, and then being compassionate and collaborative enough to make those be changes that the entire organization owns. Yeah, I think that's really good stuff. And I'm going to add one additional thing here before we move on to the next segment. I had an opportunity several years ago to watch a video of a new leader come into a, an organization and for the first time greet the, the employees. And during that conversation, this leader kept referencing himself. I've done this. I created this. I made this business successful. The reason that I'm here is because I've done this before. I'm the man. I am the man. And uh, it was really interesting to watch the conversation because yeah. essentially he was uh, trying to establish credibility through I and me versus establishing credibility through the very hard work that the people in those previous organizations did to create success, right? The leadership component, now this gets back to leadership 101 that we all learned and got good at, is it's not about that I individual, right? It's about these people around 
that leader that have taken on board the vision of the leader and through innovation and collaboration and through grit and getting a bloody nose every now and then have implemented that vision. I would tell you if you're interviewing somebody and they tell, I have done this before, I did this, I did that, then maybe ask some deeper questions. Yeah, I like that a lot. How did you do that? Who were the people that implemented these ideas or did you do it all yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you even need to dig is a little telling, right? To the individual. Yeah. As I'm listening to you describe that scenario, I'm thinking about interviews that, that I've participated in on both sides of the table, right? When I've been interviewed for a position and when I've been interviewing and that the use of the pronoun I to describe success was always a red flag. And if the individual used we or my team did, I actually initially would view that a little skeptically until they went into the weeds a little more. Because some people may use that to signal virtue. Oh, I don't give credit to myself. I give credit to the team. But in the answer to the question, do they actually give credit to their team? And is it credible that, yes, I mean, it's what I led a team to do this. And the team brought these things to the table. And this is what we achieved together. You can answer that question effectively. And you can ask that question to elicit an answer that communicates how deep that person's collaboration really runs. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And just to recap here, so in the first two segments of this podcast, we've talked about leaders going into healthy companies, the art of enhancement. And then we've contrasted that with the challenges of transformation as a leader goes into a situation where it is, it's not all aces, right? It's not all roses and humming nicely. And we also addressed a couple of the elements of contrast, including risk tolerance and the ability to make change. Some of the organizational pushback that you may get either from employee base or from the board. We also talked about employee engagement and the ability for, in both cases, a leader to engage and create buy-in with the employee base so that now they could move on and really utilize the engine, that human capital engine that the company has. Yeah. Uh, but one thing that we didn't talk about is something that I run into very often with business owners is this concept of they are in charge of this organization, but they're the loneliest person in the organization, mm -hmm. right? Because who do they have to talk to? Yeah. So you as a coach get to fill that role. In my role, helping them prepare for their exit and that elite preparation, I get to fill that role. But maybe you have a comment on that leadership loneliness. Yeah, it's true. They, I guess it was a Shakespearean quote that heavy hangs the head on which rests the crown. Right? It, it communicates the ultimate accountability and responsibility of the chief executive. And it really does fall on that, right? All of the functional leads in the organization, they're in charge of operations, they're in charge of finance, they're in charge of information systems. But the individual at the top that brings that symphony together is accountable for all of it and accountable in a real way to the board. If the organization is not humming, they're not going to reach in there and change the chief information officer. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna go for the accountability at the chief executive. And that's why the system operates like it does. A little caveat that that's also why it can be dysfunctional for board members to be too participatory in management because right? You can't hold somebody accountable for things that you haven't given them the freedom, the authority to exercise. It's, 
This goes back, you'll laugh, Mike, because the triangle that we all grew up with, right? Authority, the three-legged stool of authority, responsibility, and accountability. So those are the legs that hold the stool of senior executive leadership. So you know, for sure, that's, a, that's an important part. And because you are ultimately accountable and because you have the authority to make decisions that affect people's lives and livelihoods, it can be a really lonely position to be in. You can't really bring everything that you're concerned about to your board of directors because if they only understand a part of it, they may take that as failure when they don't see the whole picture. There are organizations that exist to help build peer groups that you can maybe lean on other members of your peer group, other chief executives. But you're always worried in that situation if there's some kind of industrial espionage right. going on, right? Or you're tipping your hand to some kind of weakness in your company that somebody might exploit. So. Really, having a trusted, confidential source, like a coach or like what you offer through EliteExit.com, that gives somebody an opportunity to have a confidential, trusted partner that, it, that sharing difficulties they're going through is going to result in the resolution of those difficulties and not something sneaking back to bite them through the board or through the executive team. Yeah, I think that if you're that owner and you are bringing somebody in to lead your organization or promoting somebody from within your organization to take on this leadership role, then I think what you should do along with it is have somebody like TD or somebody like me that sits on the side, yeah. sits on the shoulder. And some of the best sessions that I've had with owners have been two hours of owners talking and me saying very little because that, that leadership loneliness manifests itself. And really what they need to do is they just need to hear themselves say something yep. before they're going to go out and expose it to the company, their stakeholders or to their customers. And, and they know the right answer. It's just a matter of getting affirmation, hearing themselves say it, and then having the confidence to go out and do it. I concur. My very first client was a brand new chief executive and the board hired this individual from a functional lead position and the board was smart enough to say, we want this person to have a coach for the first year that they're in the seat. And that resulted in my very first coaching client. And since then, I would even submit that it's a best practice when you've brought up a new chief executive to have that coach and, and a lot of reasons for it, but the peace of mind in terms of being able to vet their crazy ideas before they, they reach in a part of the communication flow where they're going to gain scrutiny from right. the board or from creditors or from other kinds of stakeholders or shareholders. Uh, yeah, that's, I would say that's a, that's a organizational best practice when you're transitioning leadership is to make coaching part of that and to budget that as part of it. And it's money well spent. And one way uh, to look at that too, Mike, is it it will almost always be more affordable to hire a coach for that individual for the first year than it will be to go through the search process again for a second. No question. This has been a great continuation of our leadership series, The Art of Enhancement Versus the Challenge of Transformation. Let's go ahead and give the audience some time to digest this episode and get ready for the next one, where we're going to take the discussion to issues associated with leadership mismatch. For all you out there, remember to check the show notes and look for our link, the top 10 questions you should ask leadership candidates for your well-run business. 
You can also visit EliteExit.com and view our Elite Exit coaching offerings. And go ahead and sign up for our membership site waiting list. That is going to be released in the next couple of months. Going to have great content for you to go out and start your journey to your Elite Exit. So we'll see you next time on our next episode of the Business Owner Transition Podcast.